Hello, everyone. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Tom Suter. I'm the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center. And uh, thank you for joining us today. We're going uh, to talk about our, uh, the concerns government agencies sec, uh, ops teams face, as well as the best practices to secure your network against cyber threats and increase cyber resilience. Uh, really want to thank uh, Carrie Daly. She's worked really hard with Keysight. Um, we also have Phil and, and Steve on the call. Uh, on the on today, and we're just excited to partner with Keysight. They've been a really good partner of ATARC for a while, and they really care about cybersecurity, and they were really, really involved with this panel. Um, so we're this afternoon, we're going to hear from these panelists. Uh, we're going to follow it with some Q&A. Uh, we might even pop in a poll question or two that we can get some answers on with, take advantage of the brain power out there. And uh, just real quickly, I'd like to introduce the panelists. Uh, we have Royce Allen, Director uh, Enterprise Security Architecture at the VA. Hi, hi, Royce. Hi. We're happy to have you today. Hi. We also have Victor Florido, uh, who's the cybersecurity lead at GSA. Hi, everyone. Hello, Victor. I like the tie. That's pretty good for a webinar these days. Uh, it's pretty classy. Uh, we also have with us Steve McGregor uh, uh, with Keysight. He's the uh, Director of Threat Intelligence R&D over there. How are you doing, Steve? Very well, thank you for having me. No problem, no problem. And uh, we also have with us Phil Trainer, who's Director of Security Solutions at Keysight. Hey, Phil. Good to have you on, Tom. And uh, his glamour shot looks a little bit different. He, he put the full uh, pandemic beard on. And then also joining us, uh, for the last nine nine holes, uh, we're going to have Kevin Cox. He got stuck in a meeting, but he's going to be joining us approximately at, at two. So we we wanted to get him. We didn't want him to. Uh, we we were going to take him any way we could get him. So we'll we'll definitely hear Kevin. He's got a lot to talk to us about with the CDM program. So fantastic. But before we get, begin, we've been ATARC's been doing these webinar series, and we've been discussing uh, the pandemic and, and security and. Uh, I think, as a lot of you know, we've we've had a transition. So many federal workers that that had you know had been in in their offices for most of the time. I would kind of look at it three different ways. You know, there's been agencies like GSA that were very highly telecommuting. You have other agencies that had some telecommuting, but were used to working inside of inside of their office. And then you have like the IC, which is you have to do the work in, in the office. So we've seen a lot of uh, challenges where I have to go remote. Well, I had to issue computers, identity management uh, for all the people that are now remote workers. Um, I think some of the things that we're gonna talk about today are what, what happened to my DevOps teams. A lot of these were co-located. Uh, there was a, you know, maybe I have a mix of contractors and uh, feds. How does this all work? I mean, I also have some contract stuff that I have to deal with that, require me to be on site. And uh, I think it, it's been very, very challenging, uh, uh, you know, very challenging for the security CISO community to kind of balance, I've got to have production with uh, security. And then, oh yeah, the adversaries, this has been the golden age of trying to take advantage of all the coronavirus uh, things. So we've got a lot to talk about today. I want to start off with um, Royce Allen with the VA. In our prep call, the amount of detail she was giving with all the challenges they have at the, at the VA and how they're mitigating them was uh, amazing. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you, Royce. Looking forward to you to, to this. I think you got on mute. I was on mute. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to miss a second. <laughs> so for the last four months since COVID, we had to expand our capacity. So the VA have 30,000 plus employees and our task was to devise a plan and in expand our networks to be able to support over 225,000 users simultaneously. So we have four TIC 3.0 projects that are ongoing. Red's told them nine before that eventually that we want to submit for approval through DHS and OMB, uh, at least that we would like to get um, 
nominated to be placed on their list. So we have 200 and we went from 100,000 mobile devices, um, laptops to 225,000. So 430,000 employees um, that we were required to move from, we went from 43,900 remote users in February and today we're up to 150,000. We quadruple our virtual service, our Citrix servers. We took fully advantage of our Microsoft Suite and tools. We used, um, we went from 1,700 to 7,600 today. We double our rescue VPN capacity um, from 120,000 users to 500,000 at present. We went from 6,000 in February to 120 and 150,000 users, and then from 60,000 unique connections to 134,000 within our, to support our telework efforts. So, and in doing so, we also had to look at how do we rapidly deploy and get these systems on most securely. So we also put in new processes. We have a rapid review um, process for cloud services, and we have one also for on-prem services. So we can get our cloud applications in and out within seven days, but we were using abbreviated until it approach to do so. So, and we have many other efforts that we'll talk about later this afternoon. Great, thanks Royce. And uh, Victor, we'll go with, with you next. I know uh, there was a lot of, uh, special uh, procurement activity that you had to manage uh, right after pandemic. And uh, I know this role, you've been been with GSA for a little bit here, but this role that you're in now, maybe you could talk a little bit about, about the role and what you think the importance is too. Thank sure, you, thank you. Uh, and by the way, uh, you know, I feel for VA and uh, all the issues that they're dealing with. Uh, GSA is open for business. We've been open for business since day one. Uh, so if, uh, if anybody ever needs anything, uh, we're here. But um, let, me, uh, let me share this slide. Again, my name is Victor Florido. Um, I work for the ITSS, uh, IT Security Solutions Director of GSA under the ITC, uh, Information Technology category. And uh, one of my responsibilities uh, working for the ITSS Director is as the technical lead for the highly adapted cybersecurity services um, a special item number program, right? Um, this is a very unique program that we put in place back in 2016. I'll tell you more about it in a second. But let's talk about a little bit of the description of the program. Uh, what do we have to offer? Some of the challenges that the agencies are facing as we speak and some of the solutions that we put in place to mitigate those challenges. Um, so let's talk about the program itself. Uh, oh, here we go. So let's talk about the program itself. Uh, as you can see, the, this program has five subcategories. You have the high value assets, uh, you have the uh, RVA, uh, pen testing, server hunt, and instant response. But it wasn't always like that. Back in 2016, when we created this program, we had uh, four sub-teams. Uh, we rapidly realized that we needed to expand the, um, uh, the scope of the program because um, it was obvious that we needed, uh, there were more requirements out there that the agency were requesting and we didn't have them in place. Uh, so when we, uh, again, when we merged those four, four substance into one and we created the, sub, uh, the five subcategories, we expanded uh, the scope in services like uh, RMS services or security operation center services. Those services weren't included before, now they are. Um, so let's talk about the challenges uh, the agencies uh, usually come to us saying, uh, let's say for instance, an agency might be looking for a particular cybersecurity service, but that service is not listed under the hacks uh, subcategories. Or an agency wants to put out a solicitation for again, a, a particular cybersecurity area, but don't, doesn't wanna deal with all 280 plus uh, vendors replying to it. Uh, one that is very common is an agency might need to acquire both cybersecurity services and some other type of IT services. Uh, so let's, let's talk about, you know, first, if, if the service is not included. Uh, let me make this clear. The HackSend can be used to acquire any type, any kind, any type of cybersecurity services. We have multiple vendors that can provide, they have 
expertise in, in all subcategories and they can provide additional guidance uh, in details of what they can offer to, to that particular agency for those needs. Um, also, you know, when we're talking about the uh, solicitation, we all know that if, if an agency puts a solicitation out there, everybody can see it. We encourage them to include language in the solicitation so uh, the vendors uh, that are awarded for those particular subcategories should respond and nobody else. That way you can more or less uh, get a more accurate number of vendors and then you can work with instead of once again having 280. Um, and then we're fully aware that oftentimes uh, the requirements uh, are more complex than just cybersecurity. It's what we call a complete solution. In those instances, we always tell the agencies, hey, um, submit the order on the hacks and write within the solicitation documents that vendors may utilize other scenes to create a complete solution. So that shouldn't be a problem either. Um, other services that we provide, you know, we have multiple uh, uh, templates, uh, like the hacked ordering guide. We have multiple uh, other templates like the statement of work, uh, SOWs, uh, you can find them on gsa.gov forward slash hacks. Uh, we also have an independent government cost estimate tool available on the um, acquisition gateway. This tool gives agencies the ability to build their own cost estimates. Um, and then we collect all that data from the hack vendors. Uh, the uh, hack sim can offer agencies a, a pool of over 200 small businesses. These small businesses are not just fully qualified to provide those cybersecurity services, but they also hold other social economic designations like SDVOSB, 88, uh, HubZone, and so on. Um, and last but not least, we have a team of experts. Uh, we have national account managers, we have customer service directors that are available to work directly with the agencies to meet those needs. Uh, with that in mind, um, that's basically what I wanted to tell you guys about our program and anything else, um, I'm here for questions. Okay, thank you, Victor. We'll, we'll get back to you on, on, a, on a few things, but I wanted to get through uh, everybody else. Uh, next up, we'll go with uh, Mr. Steve Gregory. Um, he's going to help us with, he's in, you know, in research and development. So it'd be, it'd be interesting that, you know, when you're developing a product, how do you account for all the emerging threats that, that, that come along our way? And uh, welcome, Steve. And, and you, where are you out of? Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. They got the good barbecue down there. Yeah, uh, I'll have to pay you a visit at the next most convenient opportunity. Uh, but thanks. I'm looking forward to your uh, your your talk here, Steve. All right. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, the, the situation we're in, there's it's it's quite uh, dynamic, and um, I have to say, um, I, I really Joyce's uh, experience what they're going through. Um, you're not alone. Everyone's doing this. Everyone's going through a very similar kind of transition that was not expected. Um, what we're seeing, uh, and what we we've known in security, uh, and what my my role in what I do at uh, Keysight is to track what's uh, happening right around us, and and, I, and my teams take that information and help build products which are meant to uh, test and measure your resiliency, your capabilities, how how effective are the security uh, controls products that you've purchased or you're about to purchase? How are they working for you? And what we've just experienced is this tremendously, just bam, you know, the pandemic hit four months ago, everyone was all of a sudden work from home and well, we know in security, the weakest link is the thing that everyone wants to go after, right? So the weakest link, what was that? Uh, four months ago, I would say, uh, mostly it was your web servers that are outside or you know your users, of course, are there. But I mean, the attack surface is just exponentially grown right now. And uh, the difficulties have become, it's, it's, it's even more difficult for all of us. So um, we're seeing, and the, and the cyber criminals are actually, they're, they're just loving this because it's become a lot easier uh, trying to hack into someone's home via an IoT device, you give it. Um, the, the, it's a lot easier than getting into a, a corporate or a government network. Um, once they're in, uh, if there's a connection going into what you, know, you, you think is a secure network through a VPN secure tunnel, there's, there's, we're not certain of all of this, right? So it's, it opens up doors that weren't there um, quite as vast as or as many doors were not open previously, and um, 
the the so I mean, it's it's the same things, but they're taking advantage. What we're seeing are the same things, but they're taking advantage of this COVID. Uh, whether it's government checks, try, trying to do fraud to get your do phishing, get personal identifiable information, or things like the recent snake ransomware, which is just another evolution of wanna cry type activities that uh, are taking advantage of, of, of vulnerabilities in remote access tools to gain footprint and unfortunately get in and, and wreak havoc, do ransomware activities, which no one wants to experience. And I, of course, wanna do everything in my power to try to stop that. Um, so the, the, the thing we're, we're we're changing here as well because we've gone we've Keysight has the same issue you know that Joyce described we've we've all now working from home had to get people who are had uh, desktops get them laptops get them access the IT teams are trying to figure out how do I secure all these systems so we're using our own products actually which is great which we always had but we've evolved our products to help so my R&D team we are continuously looking for ways how can we uh, build uh, tools that can proactively run from a home network now, right? So if you are at home, how can I deploy something on a one of the workstations that I've provided my work from home employees that would allow me to assess when they're connected, what do they have access to? What kind of, uh, could I have visibility to uh, things that might look like snake or, or these types of uh, ransomware that would go into a network? And the reasoning is that proactive testing, proactive training makes you better. This is the thing we were striving to do before. Uh, it's just become even more so needed now because of our attack surfaces growing. Um, that's that's what I'm focused on. That's what we're trying to help achieve throughout, uh, whether it's uh, enterprise or it's government. Uh, these these problems are are shared, right? And trying to help deal with that is what we're we're trying to bring the right kind of tools and and things to help that along. Thank you, Steve, for that. Um, and now we're going to transition over to Phil. And uh, Phil's more of like you're in the field and and with your with your beard, it definitely looks like you're in the field. I know you're you're meeting with customers and agencies all the time. What what's been uh, what's been the look on the ground? And I think you just had a customer meeting, so some of the customers are still open in physical locations. And yeah, that's true. So I am I'm in the uh, I'm in the field uh, almost all the time, and I do work with individuals like Royce, and it's it's great to be in the panel with you. Um, I'd say right now, customers like Royce are looking for lots of different products, but at Keysight, we make two separate products that are very interesting to organizations like the VA. Uh, we make SecOps tools uh, that perform continuous security audits. The stuff that Steve's group does in the R&D section. This is something that we've gotten a very good response to. People want to perform continuous security audits with the kind of full kill chain scenarios Steve was just talking about. Not just having one exploit happen at a time, but almost a full decision tree. Uh, the second tranche of products are what we call visibility solutions. Our visibility solutions allow for the right packet to go to the right tool. So let's say that Royce has so many different people working in the organization, different people who are in different security sectors, different security groups. I know that the VA has both uh, class and unclass information that they're working with. Getting the right flows to the right tools for deeper analysis is a, is a solution that we create. And we further give like detailed information and this information can go right to a security incident event manager giving that one windshield look to say okay where's our traffic coming from what applications are they using what are we seeing these are the kind of things that are really important to organizations like the VA and other government groups and that's really what myself and Steve are helping to deliver to those organizations great um I think Alyssa, let's let's try a, a poll question before we start getting into the questions to, to feed the conversation a little bit. And uh, feel free, we have a Q&A that you can ask whatever you feel like with this panel. We, and we're, and uh, not to forget, we're gonna get Kevin on in a few minutes too, so we're gonna hear his perspectives. But let's, uh, let's pop up a, a, a couple of poll questions. Okay. How confident are you in your organization's overall security resilience? So we will answer that. And the second question is, what is the biggest emerging threat in cybersecurity your company is facing? Probably let's put agency as well. Um, 
is facing in, in, in 2020. We'll give it a couple seconds. Everybody, please respond. Okay, let's see what the results are. Okay, we're not, I think it's more like, well, we work, you know, for the government, it's, I think with so many things changing, the extremely confident, we're, I think in government, we're, we're, we're not super confident about anything like that. Uh, that's interesting though. Uh, kind of more as everybody's kind of thinking in the middle there. And uh, next gen secure internet, interesting, okay. Anybody want to comment on any of these results? Was that surprising? Is that what we kind of thought? I don't think it's surprising at all. And I'm glad that nobody is yeah. extremely confident. We shouldn't be too confident, period. Yeah. Anybody else? Is Sometimes when you do these things and you get results you, you think you're going to get, that's kind of confirming it. OK. Uh, yeah, I would just uh, maybe the first question I'll ask is, is uh, how are people ad adapting to the workplace? I know with us, you know, with ATARC, we had an event back on March 10th, I think it was like a Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, the president had his address. And I think on Thursday morning at 6 a.m., everybody was at Wegmans. So it changed really quick. I haven't met with my team in person since we've gone to uh, Zoom calls every morning though. That's kind of been different. I, I don't think we've had a conference call since. We've been mostly doing Zoom calls. It'd be great to hear from everybody what their perspectives are, you know, and how, how, how's the people adapting to this? I mean, our, our people seem fine, but it would be great. Maybe we could start with you, Royce. So um, at the VA, we have 1,400 different sites all around the US. And a virtual call for us can be from 50 to 100 people on a daily basis. So for us, it really wasn't a hard transition because we have a lot of people who work from home. We have some people who, um, and you know, we have that telework policy already in place. So some people a few days a week work from home. So I don't think that it was that hard to transition to be at work, but there are some cases where you really want to be in a room whiteboarding. You really want to get into that place when you're doing some storming and just really get the minds in a room where you're just whiteboarding and changing things on the fly. I mean, even this morning, we just had a conversation, had a conversation with my team and was talking about FY21 planning and really putting together our priorities and really hashing some things out. And I say, look, some of us may just have to go in the office um, for a few hours and let's you know, hash this out in a conference center because no one is at work, right? So for me, it's probably even more so because no one's there. Um, so, and you know, most of my team say, yeah, we would love to do that because they would love to get in their room because sometimes you just need to get in their room and hash it out. But um, we work quite a bit virtually um, with folks from the East Coast to the West Coast at all times. Um, so, and making sure our healthcare clinicians and our medical facilities have what they need um, is critically important. And that's why our priority and our emphasis um, rely is on our healthcare services piece. So, um, and so far, uh, we have not had any major hiccups in our networks. Every now and then you may see a little sluggishness, but we have the flexibility now to switch over to CAG if you need to switch over to Connect. CAG, when you log in, you can log in from the East Coast or the West Coast. And some of us say, well, since it's still early, let's log into the West Coast, right? And maybe at two o'clock, we'll come back in over on the East Coast. So we have that um, diversity and the flexibility yeah. to log on and get good services. So um, my team hasn't been complaining. I think most of the concern is the readiness of um, the organization for return to work, Metro, um, the safety, uh, is the Metro safe? You know, how safe is the environment? And just this morning, I sat down with one of our um, fellows and we talked about this application that they created. Almost like when you go to your health, when you have to go to a medical appointment now, you go online, you fill out the 
bunch of questions and then you get a confirmation number or something back saying you're okay to come to go to the dentist. So um, our smart fellows have just created an app to do that for us when we get back to work. So we're already looking at ways to improve the process. Right. And Victor, maybe you can talk a little bit about what you've seen from your customers. And I definitely want to hear from Phil and Steve. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's very ironic uh, because I came from DOD many years with DOD. Uh, so for them, telework is like, it wasn't there. Uh, it was not even an option. People want to see people, uh, their employees on, 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 the, on the buildings. For us, it was a very smooth transition because we already have everything in place. But what I can tell you is customers are telling me that, oh, by the way, I've been more productive working from home. I never thought I was going to be that productive. My team is being productive. We're meeting the mission. We, we're doing what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually hearing a lot of positive feedback. Um, the only people that I, that I will say might not be too happy about is anybody that is doing anything on the high side. Uh, that will be a challenge. And I, okay. I've, seen, I've seen some solutions out there that, uh, in fact, I worked in some, some of those solutions uh, that, that we have, the, the, the uh, different companies have available. Uh, that will be interesting to see how they're going to address uh, anybody that is working with classified uh, information. Thankfully, uh, I am not, and most of my customers uh, uh, are not. But uh, but uh, absolutely, I will say the challenge is anything that is classified in the box. Right, because you have to be at the skiff and a secure place, and you have to do social distancing, and that's kind of currently the rule. So what happens? You either have to have alternate shifts. It just is. It, it's it, it's definitely a challenge in that. And uh, Steve or Phil? Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You know, it, it's Keith. They don't have. They don't even have windows. <laughs> if they have windows, they got a bunch of bars, and it, it's very difficult uh, to have social distancing and, and so on. And, and in most cases, yeah. most places are very small too. Right. Right. Phil, Steve, uh, anything so, you want to add? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, so, uh, said we have offices and then. We have 46 offices globally. We have offices all over the place. And so we have, we have some experience doing this. And we do, a, we do a lot of things, like getting into too many details. But uh, for an organization, whether you're the VA or you're a, uh, one of the tool vendors that Florida um, was talking about, is that you have to push security to the uh, endpoint to the user. And that's something we do. We push security to the user. Um, BYOD is not a problem if you put the security package on your BYOD device. And these things really tend to wrap their hands around them uh, pretty tightly. Um, as Steve mentioned, we do use our own uh, SecOps tools and our own visibility tools. We have uh, really strong insight into what our endpoint users are doing. Um, to the VPN, we have 2FA. Uh, to do most things, you have 2FA. It's, all really, it's just really best practices. And these best practices apply to whether you're in a quarantine and it's, it's, a, um, it's an emergency going on or just every day. And that's... Um, that's really the whole main point of security. The last point I want to make is um, it's really important to have uh, training. Uh, Steve mentioned that the user is almost always the weakest point in security. And I know mm -hmm. that we have mandatory trainings on a number of topics that definitely make our organization more adept at handling this unique situation and better suited to work with uh, important customers like the U.S. government. Phil, so I'm glad you brought up that last point. I think training is that always the first thing to go in any budget? Uh, it always has been, and it seemed like it was one of the casualties of the conference scandal. We won't mention which agency was affiliated with that like eight or nine years ago. Uh, and uh, one of the things we're trying to do with ATARC is really help in, in that area. We have a cybersecurity certificate with the University of Maryland, but that's a topic for another day. Um, Steve, did you have anything else to add there? I don't want to leave you out. Uh no, I think Phil covered it, but I, I mean, I'll just reiterate, I think the training part, um, I, I want to add one thing to that, which is humans are humans, right? We, we make mistakes. So the training has to be, it's human training, it's layered, it has to be training on the, on the ops teams and, and at every stage, 
you know, don't even let the users know that they're being trained, perhaps, would be a great thing to do. Because uh, many a times when they go through the training, it's it's just, let me get this real quick and get back to work, right? And and so um, if we can find ways to do these trainings and and automate them in, in ways and, and, and yeah. put them into the processes naturally, that, that type of environment would be very supportive of what we're dealing with today. Yep, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, the, the White House has, has had some training cohorts in uh, cybersecurity and artificial intelligence now, and we're trying to figure out how that we can scale that uh, and try to help them scale that. I think it's, I think training and reskilling generally is, is something that I think every agency can use. We're starting to get some good questions. Um, one, I might, I might hold some of these. Uh, one of them, is uh, in regards to the higher classifications. Have any of you or your organizations found a way to comfortably secure communications to enable remote work for higher classifications of data? So maybe, you know, sensitive data, um, you know, uh, maybe not all the way to TS where you have being a skip, but is there anybody want to touch on that? Royce? Oh. So, um, well, Honestly, in certain cases, because of all veterans and and I think um, Victor and Phil mentioned it earlier, BYOD um, the, um, program we had to yeah. um, activate because there are areas where we have um, medical clinicians that are coming in and volunteering and teaming and work with the VA. Or there are cases where the VA had to work with the states to allow um, folks to come into their facilities. So with that was sometimes in that um, environment, you have people who have their own mobile devices and we have to look at what's the safest way to connect their mobile devices to the VA network. So we did um, implement um, some additional capabilities through the Microsoft Suite of Tools. We went and expanded our ATP um, capabilities and now we're able to support additional users who are not uh, a part of the VA workforce or other healthcare clinicians to come in so that we can do um, telehealth through a virtual call. We've also allowed quite a few new um, video conferencing capabilities. Um, we work very closely with OGC and privacy because we have a lot of um, HIPAA restricted information at times. Yeah. Um, we've been educating our veterans over the type of conversations um, that we have on open line through some of these capabilities. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges what I'm seeing um, lately is end-to-end -end encryption. Do you truly have end-to-end -end encryption? within your FedRAMP approved application or your application that um, the healthcare, a healthcare um, doctor say, I need it at this particular site. I have, you know, I have limitations on network capabilities. How do we best support our yeah. veterans there? So we've also had to welcome things into our environment that may not be as secure, but we're using policy. We're using, um, conversations with the veterans to sort of educate them on how to share information through those, through those lines and those capabilities. We, we have um, user agreements. We're pushing things out. So when you log in, we're looking at, okay, how secure and how updated is this person's mobile device? You know, do they have all the latest patches and, and, and getting the authorization to download certain patches to make sure that we don't compromise our own environment. So those are things that we've been doing to service our customers. Yeah, I think those are really important points. And at BYOD, uh, I would call it a pilot for lack of, of a better word. I, I really like it because every agency has this use case where I've got to work with the local police or I've got to work with the USDA or, and we really haven't cracked the code. I know Kim Hancher on the digital government strategy uh, did some early pilots, but we've got to, we got to communicate and we and people are going to be bringing their personal devices in and there's a lot of advantages to allowing them to do that 
rather than I just think of Hurricane Katrina. What they what first responders had to do is go to New Orleans, pick up your phone, then go out to Shreveport to do your survey. You know, you can't do that. You, you you're not going to be able to do that. And I think this pandemic's proved it. Does anybody want to else add about mobile and remote communications? And it's kind of the security plus the the opportunity. Um, yeah, I'd like to add something. Um, I want to say something very important a minute ago about how the ubiquity of encryption is being implemented as a security measure. And that's a very important thing, especially with TLS 1.3 now really starting to go wide. And TLS 1.3 really is a game changer because it eliminates man the middle style attacks. It makes it very difficult, but that level of encryption also creates a new problem because let's say that you have a connection firewall that needs to look at application layer rules. Well, the usefulness of that solution will be destroyed by encryption. So now Royce has a new problem. She has to be able to quickly decrypt, inspect, re-encrypt. It's a ever-moving uh, target to do all these things. And the fact that uh, encryption is becoming ubiquitous now is a really great thing. I mean, uh, there was information online a few uh, months ago saying that about 60 to 70% of network traffic on the internet is encrypted. It will be 100% the years. And these are the problems that government especially has to solve while maintaining not only security, but also to inspect traffic on those levels. Great, great. Um, we got a good question in, and I was gonna cover it anyway, but this is, this is good. What are your opinions on the cloud, the GovCloud? Do you think there's potential to, um, to continue remote communications for higher levels of classification using this cloud? So let's just talk about cloud. And oh, by the way, this this webinar is on the Zoom, um, the uh, Zoom Gov Cloud. So if in case anybody's wondering, we we've upgraded to that. Uh, uh, but let's talk a little bit of cloud, and then it looks like Kevin's getting on, and we can we can go back to him. But let's finish up this question on cloud computing and what how it's helped us. You know, is it, you know what are some of the, still some of the challenges? Royce, you want to yeah, dive in? So, so the VA goal is to be at 80% software as a service. So that's a lot for us, right? We have over 800 some applications to date. Just along for COVID, we did 34 new SaaS and they continue to grow. Now all of them, um, some of them were FedRAMP authorized and some of them uh, we sponsor and they have to go through our FedRAMP approval process. A lot of them are telehealth. Um, our telehealth um, customers is our largest um, customer for software as a service. Um, some of the challenges is um, that some of those companies are small moms and pop companies. Never heard of FedRAMP, never heard of the authorization process. So a lot of, a lot of it is working closely. We work very closely with FedRAMP. I think um, I remember um, Alicia telling us that VA probably had 50% of the calls that they get and requests that they get uh, on cloud and trying to understand the FedRAMP authorization process. So for us, working very closely with the FedRAMP program office, using working closely with DHS, take 3.0 office has helped us tremendously. Tick 3.0 has given us the flexibility to introduce a lot of cloud services. We, we have multiple ongoing efforts with um, under the TIC 3.0. We're looking at um, VPN as a service and working with Palo Alto. So um, we're um, continuing to work with AWS and um, Microsoft on their tools and capabilities. Now that we have our DEXF op program that's really in full force, not only we're looking at cloud, but we're looking at ways of how we assess open source capabilities mm -hmm. are going to be deployed in our DevSecOps program um, as we continue as that is under development. So cloud, yeah, as when we look at the VA, yes, um, we have a workflow, we have an authorization process in place, we have a handbook, we, we do lots of training with the ISSOs, we do lots of training with the lead engineers and technical teams to make sure that they understand some of the risks. We have conversations about things that we see systemically from architecture gap. Um, 
standpoint, so cloud, um, telehealth, um, telework expansion, I, I would say probably 80 and 90% of our stuff is done in the cloud, especially on the telehealth side. And then and for the telework uh, we're doing. It, how many TIC3.0 pilots do you say, did you, say so you, we, you had? So we have nine, four that we're looking at wow. submitting that are um, unique. And, and you have to understand our footprint, right? For the VA it is in the number of services. I mean, right now we're still doing our inventory. We're up, we have over 120 medical devices. A lot of our medical devices are starting to communicate with cloud services. There, there we, we have bi-directional data flows from a medical device, a cloud, to an on-prem application, to now um, to our CERNA activities in which we're doing for our um, medical records, EHRM, um, our medical records sharing efforts between DOD. So our, the network designs, architecture design become, continue to grow and become more um, complex. We're taking fully advantage of um, remote um, access and authentication capabilities. We got Octa, we got IDME, um, we're using all that workspaces, AppStream, WVD. I mean, it's, we have quite a few, so I can name a lot, right? So we're being educated in every form and fashion that you can think. Things that we never heard, I was like, wow, that's cool, we can do that. So so it's, it's fun because you're learning, right? And as telehealth, yes. and then other things continue to grow, and the things that we do for us, I think our biggest security concern is protecting our Internet of Things, protecting our medical devices and applications within the VA environment, and also as we extend beyond our VA environment and working with our vendors, just making sure our information is data is protected at all times, and that we have visibility into those workflows. Yeah, and, and, and Royce, I don't know if we've invited her formally, but the, the uh, VA has done a CRADA with UL and on medical device security. And I think you're linking back to the FDA. We're going to have another webinar. Mm -hmm. We're going to have another webinar on that, which is going to be really interesting because I think you can apply not just medical mm -hmm. devices, but the entire internet of things. Right. Um, I, I, I got to uh, bring Kevin into the uh, discussion. How are, you, how are we doing, Kevin? We got Kevin on mute. All right, we're going to bring Kevin in. I, I, we were in our prep. There he is. I think we're having a little problem with your audio. Oh, two minutes. Okay, we'll 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 hang tight there. How about this? How about we do a uh, one more poll question? A couple more poll questions, Alyssa. There we go. How are you satisfied with your company's response to COVID-19? Actually, let's put in cert agency there. Uh, this is a good question. I like it. Uh, in lieu of COVID-19, what has been the is biggest issue your company agency has faced? These are pretty good. All right. We got to have some results. What do we got? Interesting. Good job, government. We have mostly government people on. That's not too bad. You know, I, I think. Uh, you know, uh, every agency got mobilized. I mean, uh, Victor, I know you set up a special uh, group just to satisfy the, the, these ongoing things. I, I just is, I've never seen the government move this fast. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> I don't think we've moved this fast in, in the past. I, you know, we've had things like 9-11, uh, we've had uh, year 2000, but we had years to do that. Um, yeah. It's pretty amazing. So it's, Kevin, it's, do we have you? It's first to say, it's first to say. Go ahead, no, go ahead. Stated. No, no, no. I, I was just uh, concurring with you that it's hard to say that uh, we are moving pretty fast. It's, it's good to see that uh, nobody's 
we have zero percent for not satisfy. Uh, that's that's amazing. Forty forty three percent and you know twenty nine percent very satisfied and satisfied. So this is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Kevin, have we circumnavigated all of CISA's security to put you on? Can you can you uh, do you hear us? Can you say anything? I don't think so. I think he's still working it out. We're going to keep plugging away. Uh, Alyssa, maybe we can just conference him in or something. I don't know. Maybe just get on audio if that would be easier. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, we were talking about cloud. I don't know if we actually finished that. Victor and, and, the, and the rest of the folks, if we need, want to talk a little bit more about cloud security. Steve, Phil, feel free to chime in. I would chime in on the uh, cloud and IoT, especially with IoT. Um, my most recent research I've been doing is focused around IoT, and I've got some pretty surprising, well, maybe they're not very surprising, actually, uh, data points that we've collected. Um, you think of IoT and you think about, okay, or, or am I talking about my uh, consumer uh, router access point, my printer, um, yes. Or am I talking about maybe yep. uh, a uh, uh, something in, in the hospital? Yes, it definitely is. And they're coming up, they're being connected, they're connected to the cloud or they're connected to your network. And unfortunately, these, these devices are coming out with many of them with no security best practices being applied. It's really kind of um, bad. I, one of the, I was working with them, um, some Palo Alto guys, we've got uh, data that shows high 90% using unencrypted communications. Uh, just go up to ICS CERT, look at the, for the June, month of June, and you'll see the, the vulnerabilities that have been reported against IoT and industrial type of devices. Plenty of times you'll see uh, plain text protocols, you'll see uh, not doing input validation. Uh, these these products, uh, when they get out there and they're being used, if they're not secured and we start to uh, apply them in a medical environment or in your car, take the automobile, it's connected, fully connected. Uh, it's just scary to me. So um, how we can keep the visibility on these products, how we can uh, uh, make sure that we are aware of what they're doing and, and you know, hopefully before you even deploy them, uh, you've done some kind of uh, basic uh, security assessment to determine uh, yeah. you know, how how much has been applied to it. But uh, this is an area that I, and especially now we're all work from home, so it's it's gonna hit us by the fact that everyone's now at your home where you have a lot of internet of things, devices that are not secure and risking your networks, right? Your corporate or agency networks. Yeah, Royce, if you wanna add anything, we're now we're in, we just kind of went into the device thing all in. So if you wanna add, I know you've been working on this issue probably one of the leaders in it. And I know it's like right there at the top of your list. I think you're on mute, Bryce. Okay. So I have a security architecture team that's working very closely with VHA and HTM on the medical device side. We're developing a medical device security architecture and reference model where um, I have my MITRE FDA colleagues who work closely with us and FDA who is assisting us as we continue to look at the FDA requirements and congressional mandates to look at how far can we go with securing a device before we compromise it, you know, um, FDA certification for that device, because that's what our customers are most concerned about, that medical device certification. But we're also most concerned about now that the medical device, like I spoke about earlier, is connecting to the internet. How do we protect that device and that information? Because I see coming from 20 plus years in the Intel environment in the DOD, I put the medical device and medical device compromise in the same category as what, if we would do a national system. If that device is compromised and someone changes information and data, we can misdiagnose, we can <laughs> give the wrong medication, um, and heart monitor, stop, um, it, it can become a life or death situation. 
so that's the way I approach it, even though sometimes they're like, okay, she in that same she country, she's kind of still a bit over the top. But I think it's critical and important that we understand the behaviors of those devices so we can characterize them. So as we continue to work on our security zones, that we have them in the appropriate security zones. Right now, we have, like I said earlier, um, and we're still counting over 120,000 medical devices, and we know it's more. We have lots of VLANs, quite a few VLANs and ways of how we, you know, do our business for segregating it between um, modalities, but we're trying to improve how we do that so we can be more flexible and that we just won't put too much of a strain on our networks. So, um, so we're re-looking at network designs. We're working closely with our research team um, because the way that they do their research and the way that they use medical devices is a little different than you know our, on our healthcare side. So we're working, we're bringing in blockchaining, we're introducing virtual reality for sharing information across research sites. We're looking at blockchaining for how we um, better control access to our veterans' data and information. So um, we continue to work with DOE on a, a lot of big data analytics type of capabilities because we really want to solve a lot of the hard problems. So we're looking at, um, I was talking to one of the fellows this morning about using cloud to build that analytic platform where you can share data. We're starting to talk about tagging data, you know, what, what that means, how do we catalog the data, how do we rethink how we deploy privacy within that environment. Um, so for the last three years, I've been pushing kind of hard on VA, but, you know, it's like, okay, I think we're getting it and we're moving in that direction. You know, coming from NSA, we were already doing it beyond seven to eight years. Um, but we were improving and improving as we went along, and it was a lot of lessons learned that came out of that. So, um, so just introducing analytic development within our cloud architecture, looking at what it means to do data mining, machine learning, making sure you have the right type of statisticians on board, mathematicians, analysts, all those things, right? So my deputy, right, 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 I hired right. him because he's a mathematician, right? And because he understands data and information. And I wanted him to work with the healthcare services and leading some of those efforts in the data governance team. So great, just, great, thank you. Okay. So um, I feel like I'm like that broadcaster where we have, do we have, we have Kevin out in the field. How are we doing, Kevin? Uh, good. Can you hear me? Uh, we can hear you. Great. Great. Take your time. Um, All right. We're lucky good. to have you. So, so, so glad to get you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate everybody uh, participating today and thanks for the invitation uh, to uh, give you some perspective from our program. I'm the program manager uh, for the continuous diagnostics and mitigation program within CISA, within DHS. Uh, and, and we've been working uh, over the past few months uh, as, as agencies, including our own, has, has moved into a, a remote work posture uh, to continue to keep making progress uh, across uh, the, the federal.gov landscape uh, to help agencies get a better handle on uh, the continuous monitoring of their assets and their uh, understanding who has access to their systems and, and starting to work with agencies on various cloud security initiatives as, as well and by and large we've been successful keeping that moving forward and um, I'm, I'm uh, again glad to be here and open to any questions you might have. Great, great. One, one I'll follow up on. I know we've, uh, we were just talking about medical devices. I know you're looking at mobile which is kind of new for your program and uh, you know mobile devices you know we have the NIAM protection profile. Have you guys looked at the medical devices and Internet of Things? Where, where do you see that in your in the future development? Yeah, we've had really since the inception of of the CDM program, we've had a lot of discussions with VA uh, in specifically in regards to the medical devices. Uh, the, the difficulty there, and really with any IoT, is is uh, understanding the technology, understanding what. Uh, 
types of software we can get uh, tied into that technology so that uh, we can help the agency get a better understanding, number one, that, that the device is out there, uh, but more importantly, once you know the device is there, knowing that it's properly protected. Uh, I will say in, in the case of VA, uh, that is still uh, uh, an undertaking that we will continue to pursue with them. Uh, there's not a lot of progress we've made uh, to date uh, in terms of uh, helping them get the better visibility on the medical devices. That being said, uh, we do have, uh, with one agency, an IoT effort underway. Uh, the device is different than, than the medical devices that uh, VA is dealing with, uh, but we are uh, progressing well with that, and, and I think that will provide lessons learned and inform us in terms of how we support more widely IoT in the future. Uh, and, and just because we have not yet made progress with VA, uh, the, the efforts still remains uh, a, a key effort, a key priority for us yeah. uh, to help them uh, get a, a uh, get the right technology in place to get the visibility uh, on those very important devices for their mission. Yeah, I, 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 know, I know that's a tough challenge. It's not, it's not like there's two, you know, manufacturers, there's a million and some of them aren't updating their software and they don't connect the internet. Some do. It's, it's a big challenge. And I think that's something that ATARC would like to help in. It's going to be a multi-year effort that maybe if we can get some standards where all the future equipment, um, you know, is uh, taking a look at, and you know, there's if people are building a standard. At least you got a shot at it. Uh, yeah. Also, what? I, yeah. So the other thing I was going to ask you uh, is, how's pandemic affected your office? Uh, you know, this has got to be. Are we seeing increasing threats, or what? What are what are agencies coming to you with that 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 might be a little different than what what it was beforehand? Certainly. Uh, so I talked a little bit about how we've handled now that the agencies, including our own, are in, in a remote work posture uh, in terms of just keeping things moving forward, uh, specifically in terms of uh, how uh, kind of network uh, malicious type activity uh, has impacted agencies. Now, at the start of the pandemic, uh, there were uh, a handful of agencies, uh, some of which were tied in with uh, the key response activities. Uh, that we're starting to see increases in, in malicious traffic, uh, increases in terms of specific attacks. We know uh, that our nation state and criminal adversaries are, are looking at where they can exploit uh, events like this to get more access to, to try to uh, get data, try to do malicious things on the network. And, and indeed, that, that pattern played out here. And so uh, our program was asked to see where we could help. Uh, fortunately, when we awarded our um, CDM Defend acquisition uh, set of vehicles, the CDM Defend task orders, uh, we had built in uh, a, a capability to help with uh, incident uh, kind of uh, understanding and then looking at where uh, CDM uh, capabilities could be accelerated to respond uh, and help those agencies become uh, more robust from a cyber perspective and, and actually get in front of the, the attacks and, and, and keep them out of the network. So we have been working with a, a number of those agencies to accelerate some of our uh, capabilities, particularly in the network security management space, uh, including some cloud security efforts. Uh, and uh, what we have to watch out for is that we're funded each year in terms of a specific set of work. And so we've worked to make sure that uh, we're not robbing Peter to pay Paul here, uh, that we can right. keep our work going for all of the other agencies. So we've, we've done a, a bit of a, a delicate uh, dance there uh, to, to keep uh, all the different funding streams moving forward, making sure that we're, we're uh, doing good work on behalf of the, the taxpayers and, and that when needed, yeah. Uh, we can jump in and, and help uh, accelerate capabilities uh, in, in uh, an emergency situation. Okay, and, and and what's next for the program? What's next on the agenda? What, what, what's the next uh, thing that you're going to be tackling? Yeah, so uh, as many of you are aware, we've been working with the federal DOCOV agencies to continue to fill any gaps that remain uh, for asset management. Uh, that includes uh, the on-prem efforts, but we've also started some pilots uh, on, from a cloud perspective 
not necessarily to uh, get visibility of, of each cloud asset because, as, as many of you know, uh, things are, are brought up, uh, VMs are brought up and taken down quickly, but to help agencies have a better understanding of their data in the cloud and, and how it's being accessed. So we continue those efforts. We'll continue those efforts on into FY21, uh, continue to work with agencies to deploy and fill gaps on the identity and access management stand, uh, uh, capability area, including some identity lifecycle management uh, software to help agencies have a better understanding of the life cycle of each user that comes on. Uh, two big big initiatives is, is really uh, the first one is the new dashboard. Uh, we had originally deployed uh, the first dashboard for CDM, uh, got the communications channels set up, which are still in place. But what we found is that that, that original dashboard uh, had uh, we ran into some scalability issues, some performance issues, and so when we uh, competed our, our next contract, we wanted to make sure that the, uh, the solution could handle big data, could handle scalability uh, at, at the federal level, at, at a, within a federated space, uh, could handle uh, high performance needs, could bring us the analytics that, that the agencies need to, to get the value out of their data. So we're, we've been working with uh, the, the dashboard provider, uh, in this case it's ECS, uh, to uh, roll out the new Elasticsearch dashboard uh, using the ELK stack, the, the Elasticsearch piece, the log piece, and the Kibana visualization piece. Uh, worked with the system integrators throughout the, the CDM Defend acquisition space uh, to test that out. And starting in, in July, uh, we're really uh, at the point where we're going to have people down on the ground working with the first set of agencies to deploy the new dashboard, uh, and, and within this next quarter, July through September, by the end of the fiscal year, we'll have the new dashboard deployed uh, at least at a, a handful of agencies, uh, and then uh, continue to move on into FY21 with the goal of, of 21 having the new dashboard in place everywhere uh, within the .gov space, both the CFO Act agencies as well as non-CFO Act agencies. Associated with the dashboard is then the operationalization of the CDM data. We have a lot of good data today, uh, so we've already been working with the AWARE algorithm, which is a measure of how agencies are doing from a cybersecurity posture standpoint. Uh, it's a basic algorithm to uh, help uh, start to build on uh, kind of a, a broader risk management approach. Uh, before we can fully operationalize AWARE, what we've uh, been working with the agencies and the system integrators on is is data quality, uh, continual data quality coming up from the sensors and scanners up through the dashboard, up to the federal dashboard. Uh, so we have developed a, a data quality uh, management process, a data quality rubric, working with the integrators and the agencies uh, to ensure uh, from here on out that the data being reported up uh, at any moment is a, an accurate reflection of the agency's environment. Uh, that, too, uh, now that those are all finalized, that, too, is uh, starting in July. Uh, we'll be uh, certifying a number of agencies by the end of September. Uh, with the data certification, we then fully uh, turn on the AWARE algorithm and then continue to, to build on that into 21. That's kind of the, the next year and a quarter uh, type uh, or schedule for, for the program. Yeah, and I think that dashboard is so important to an agency because they know what to improve. It's like kind of your to-do list. It, it's like, what do I need to do to get this better? Um, and you have arguments on what's important. Those are really good arguments to have. Like, oh, I think this is, should be weighted higher. You want to have that kind of feedback because it's just going to make your security better. Right. We're really running out of time, uh, but um, if I want everybody to kind of like, you know, some last-second thoughts here, Maybe we'll start, we'll go in reverse order this time. Uh, Steve, anything you wanted, any points on your list that you wanted to get out there? No, I'm good. I got everything out. I just, you know, I, I guess just to reiterate that we're all dealing with the same thing and we're all trying to uh, kind of respond to the pandemic and do the best we can. And um, uh, I think the important thing would be that we're all here together to to try and achieve that. And I appreciate you uh, having me, uh, allowing me to participate today. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I want to visit you down there in Austin and get some of that good Franklin barbecue and some of the other ones I've tried down there. 
Uh, Phil? Yeah, I also wanted to thank you for having me on the panel. It was great talking to everyone. And also very interesting listening to uh, Kevin just now. I have one of your articles pulled up from uh, mm -hmm. Federal News. And it's really interesting. It's a new approach. I really like this whole aware concept is what you're doing. And it's, it integrates a lot of different uh, security and SecOps tools and different concepts for moving forward. And I'll just say innovation. And I guess I want to wrap up with um, one last thing. It's that um, we were talking earlier about cloud. And I'd say one of the biggest advantages of cloud is it does allow for the rapid adoption of new technologies, especially this aware concept and also best of breed solutions from private industry. And I really think that is the way to go moving forward. And I'm looking forward to working with all of you in the future, especially in person if we never get past this COVID. And Phil, your, your point is really well taken. We've seen with IT modernization, if you don't have a cloud infrastructure, it's really hard to do. Um, it's really hard to do. And we've seen that some agencies had to put up new systems that just to bear. Uh, Royce? So, oh, just one thing, um, Kevin, we had a bake off um, for looking at the scanning tools for our medical devices. Now we're getting ready to put an RFP out on the street. So we were able to refine some of our requirements. So we're moving along with that process. Um, but overall, um, I think sharing between organizations and departments and agencies, sharing data, reciprocity, I think is key. Um, teaming, I think is key. It helps us move along a lot quicker and then continue to ask questions and partner with DHS and OMB. Great. And I'm gonna go Kevin, because I'm saving Victor for the end and I'm gonna surprise him with something. So I wanna, Kevin, you, you can, anything you didn't get out there and it's so glad you could join us today. Yeah, I uh, appreciate you uh, allowing me to join uh, late. Uh, we had some uh, meetings that got scheduled, uh, so apologize for that. But I just want to echo what Royce had just said, that one of our key values for the CDM program is partnership. Uh, all of this is about uh, helping the, the federal .gov space get more secure. Uh, the, the many important mission areas across the VA and, and all of the other agencies, uh, our, our goal is to help uh, all of those uh, agencies, all of those mission-based uh, environments uh, get the visibility they need of their own environment and, and get a better handle of, of what their cybersecurity protections are in place. Because we want to get in front of the adversary. We want to keep them off the network and, and ensure uh, the, the data of our citizenry is, is protected and that, that all of our important missions can keep going forward. And uh, so we look forward to continuing to partner with the agencies and, of course, partnering with industry uh, and helping deliver the, the solutions uh, in, in the proper technologies to uh, get the agencies what they need to protect that data. So thank you uh, again, Tom, Thanks. for inviting us, uh, inviting yeah. me and allowing me to talk on our program. Appreciate it. No, no problem. And last but certainly not least, uh, Victor, we are partnering with your with the ITC uh, in, a, in an event coming up. If Alyssa, you could stick that up. Because we, one of our original questions was how do small businesses engage? They don't know how to get to the government, et cetera, et cetera. And if you want to talk a little bit about that in particular, and then uh, Alyssa, if you could stick up the slide uh, for what we're doing, uh, this ITC acquisition virtual summit coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, go ahead, Victor, close this out here. Uh, again, uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I echo the other panelists. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. And I do want to know, I, I want to tell the, some of the participants want to get in touch with me. Uh, feel free to send me a LinkedIn request. I'll be happy to, uh, to connect that way. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm here. Um, uh, again, thank you. Great, great. Well, thank you, Kevin, Royce, Victor, Steve, and Phil. This has been fantastic. And we're sorry we went a little over time, but I think it was worth it. And I see a lot of you stuck with us, most of you, in fact. So thank you very much. And thanks to Keysight for helping us out with this one. And uh, everybody have a good rest of the afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Yes, thank you.